Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Citizens, good evening. I know someone just asked how you're doing like five seconds ago, but how are you doing? Good. Hey, my name's Will, if we have not met. Um, I'm an intern here at Northwest Gospel, so you guys can kick me around after the service. And um, I was thinking about First Wednesdays a few minutes ago and came to the realization that I think I've preached like the consecutive like last four First Wednesdays. So you guys can call me First Wednesday Will. It sounds like a cowboy name or something. But hey, I have some urgent breaking news for you all tonight. Santa Claus is not real. I know. If this is your if this if this is your first time hearing this news and you're in 6th grade and you're blown away, um, I'm going to respond to your parents' email by saying I'm sorry this is a public youth group. We do what we can. But do you guys like me remember uh, what changed for you when you learned the truth about Santa Claus? He said nothing. For me, it meant that I no longer could put out cookies for Santa because I didn't want to make cookies for my dad and my mom to eat in the night. It also meant that all the presents I was receiving those past however many years of my life, I think I figured it out in first grade or so, were not from Santa. Heartbreaking, right? I think also of Star Wars. Some of you have seen Star Wars, some of you haven't. But um, one of the main characters named Luke, um, he's a Jedi Knight, he eventually finds out from his evil nemesis, Darth Vader, that Darth Vader is his father. And he goes, no, in really bad Mark Hamill acting. No, right? But what changes for Luke when he learns that Darth Vader is his father and Leia is his sister, that means that when they had kissed earlier in the movie, that meant he was kissing his sister. A little bit weird, and it it should be weird. But there's this reality tonight um, in our world that when you receive truth, you can't function like you did before, right? When you receive the real side of something, Everything changes. And tonight we're going to be hearing from a man who had his life utterly flipped upside down after receiving truth. And that man is none other than Paul. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. To the book of Romans. Romans is after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, after the book of Acts, just before the book, uh, the, the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Um, But before we get into our text tonight, as we're jumping into a new series, I think it would be helpful to provide you guys with some context to this. So so like I mentioned, Paul, uh, this letter was written to a church in Rome. That's where we get the name Romans from. Um, And it's written by a man known as the Apostle Paul. And I want to start by saying this. Um, This book that we're jumping into really excites me. Paul, I love this guy, okay? He's a savage in a good way. 
Like, I love Paul, and I love Romans. Romans holds a very special place in my heart. Um, when I was a junior in high school, uh, reading Romans was the first time that I really felt like I understood my sin and felt like I understood the gospel. So it holds a very special place in my heart. Uh, but this character named Paul, who's writing this letter, uh, wasn't always what we would consider to be a good guy. At one part, at one time, Paul was um, caught up in the religion of Judaism, um, and he was very zealous. What do I mean by that? He was very dedicated to the Jewish religion. Um, Paul studied under some of the smartest Jewish scholars, and quickly, as I knock my pulpit over, um, rose in the ranks of Judaism. And so, after the death of Jesus and his resurrection, when there came about these people saying, hey man, um, the Messiah that your religion is looking for, he's already come. He rose from the grave. This really upset Paul. Why? Paul thought this was blasphemy, that someone would say that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. And so this infuriated Paul to the point where he was completely sold out for hunting down Christians and killing them. Paul was like a, a bounty hunter for killing Christians. Uh, he would bind them in ropes, he would have them stoned or taken before the rulers and the authority and put to death. Um, Paul is described in Acts as breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Paul was like this angry bull just charging at these Christians, except for the fact that he was about four foot nine, so all my short kings in here, that's a little... Uh, that's something good for you there. Um, despite his height, though, Saul was killing Christians. He was persecuting the church. The Bible says that he was ravaging the church. Um, Paul was driving Christians out of town, left and right. Saul is arguably one of the most opposed people um, to the Christian faith, to the gospel message of all time. But something happens in Acts chapter 9, Saul is on the road to Damascus, that's over in Greece, from Jerusalem, and you'll never guess what he's going there to do. He's going there to hunt and persecute more Christians. I know, shocker. So he's on the way to this city named Damascus, and Paul is met with a bright light. Um, and he, he's blinded by this light, it's so bright. Um, Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus, the one that he was persecuting. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And it's from then on, in a summarized fashion, that um, Paul's na Saul's name is changed to Paul. Um, he's converted. And what happens is that Paul goes from being completely um, zealous and sold out in persecuting Christians now to preaching the very message that he was opposing. Paul's kind of a 100% guy. Paul doesn't do anything half foot dipped in the water. When Paul jumps in, he's jumping in. And so Paul's zeal turns from persecution to preaching. And so that's a very summarized version of Paul. Um, but like I said, Paul now wants to preach the gospel. Paul's a missionary. So Paul's going all over, and one of the places he wants to go is Rome. That's in Spain, modern day. And... Um, Rome has a major church, and he wants to come to this church in Rome and eventually to Spain. 
And that's where we get the name of the book. He wants to come to Rome. Paul's writing this letter for multiple reasons, but the main one that I want to establish tonight um, is that Paul is wanting to proclaim the gospel and tell the Romans about what that gospel means for their life. Um, So as we prepare to open God's word and read the introduction to this book, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, I'm very thankful um, to get to come before these kids, Lord, and read and proclaim your word. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your your scripture, um, God, and ultimately change hearts in this room. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This is Romans 1, 1 through 7, okay? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get anything from what I'm saying tonight, if you have a a pen in your hand or or a thought in your head, I want you to hear this. Um, God's grace calls for gospel obedience. God's grace calls for gospel obedience. Um, The good news of Jesus is a message of truth. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't some elaborate story. Uh, This isn't some hypothetical myth that people made up. Uh, This isn't a sales pitch or a money grab. And it isn't a life coaching way uh, to deal with our emotions and our thoughts. The gospel is a message. And this message is one that Paul is bringing forth to the church in Rome. Look at what he says in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what we see from the very beginning is that Paul is called and set apart for this message. And I just love how he, he introduces himself. Paul, in the start of the letter, right? We all have those awkward friends that it's like, hey, mom, meet Jimmy. And it's like, hey, Jimmy, how are you doing? And, and the only thing you can say is Jimmy. That's how I picture Paul here. Paul opens the letter with his name, but, but catch what he says here. He says, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. I want to speak to the young person in this room tonight going, this Christian thing is stupid. Uh, There's no evidence for this, and the whole thing is pointless. I want to say this. Look at Paul. Paul once, like we mentioned, was a persecutor of Christ. Paul was once devoted to killing Christians and ruining the Christian message. 
But look at the heart change and the conversion that this man has, right? Paul is undergoing a radical change. God changes the most opposed and cold hearts into hearts that long to further his kingdom. Paul didn't have anything to gain by becoming a Christian. In fact, Paul had everything to lose. Um, A lot of scholars think that Paul was well on his way to becoming top of the line in the Jewish religious system. Um, But when Paul meets Jesus, everything changes. Paul says this later on in his um, apostolic writings. Um, In Philippians 3.8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. What I'm saying to you in this room who's wondering about this gospel, having doubts, I want to once again point to the heart change of Paul when he encounters Jesus. His life is changed, guys. This change in Paul is supernatural. Uh, This doesn't regularly happen in somebody who is persecuting and killing people to being blinded and going, all right, I'm going to preach this news. Uh, I would argue that Paul is very clear that um, this is a supernatural change in his heart. This is a message of truth. And Paul is a servant of this message, right? I mentioned that he's sold out. There's no going back to his old ways. And so maybe if you're in the room and you, you don't necessarily think this is a lie, but you're on the fence about Christianity, um, I want to, to invite you to imitate, to follow the Apostle Paul and, and what he does in being radically sold out for God. Um, it would be a little bit of a miss here if I didn't point out some very clear Trinitarian theology. And literally everyone in this room is going, what the heck is that? Trinitarian and theology. Theology is the study of God, okay? The Trinity is God, three in one. Father, Spirit, Son. So we're going to do a little bit of an exercise here. You guys know how to count, right? We can count? Yes? No, maybe not? Okay. We're going to read through this real quick. And I want you to count with me as we read through it, okay? Go halfway through verse one, okay? Set apart for the gospel of God. There's one, okay? Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his, count with me, son, two, good, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit. There's three, okay? So when somebody comes to you and they're going, hey man, What is the Trinity? Where is that in the Bible? Uh, That's a very quick way. Point them to Romans 1. Put that in your tool bag for later. Uh, But look at verse 1. Paul says that he is called to be an apostle. What is an apostle? Well, apostles have some qualifications. Um, Probably not a lot of you in this room work, um, seeing as half of you are about middle schoolers. But when the, the day comes... Um, that you decide, or someone decides for you, that you're going to start working, what you'll find is that there's qualifications to get hired for a job, right? So when you march on down to, um, for me it was La Provence, 
for a food court job or you're trying to make a minimum wage job, there are some requirements for you to work in a minimum wage job. Those would be that you have a heartbeat and you can breathe. Okay, those are the qualifications to get a minimum wage job. But as you progress upward and you want to make a little bit more money, right? If you want to be a teacher, you're going to need a bachelor's degree, right? That's four years of college. If you want to be an engineer, I think it's about six. If you want to be a doctor, you're going to need a doctorate, right? This idea of qualifications, what makes you able to do something, right? If you want to play on a, a varsity team at your school, you're going to have to have some skill. You're going to have to be good or have a parent who's friends with the coach, one of the two. Um, I'm really not throwing any shots, no animosity. Um, if you want to be the president of the United States, and we're not going to go there, but there aren't many qualifications. Um, but when we think about an apostle, what are the qualifications for an apostle? Uh, well, in the Bible, Acts 1 verse 2 says that an apostle has to be personally chosen by Christ. Right? We remember Paul being personally chosen and called by Jesus. And in the same chapter, it says that uh, an apostle must see, meaning visibly see, the resurrected Jesus. That also happens to Paul in that same uh, conversion story. And then Matthew 10.2 says that an apostle has authority over every unclean spirit and can heal every disease and affliction. Uh, why am I telling you guys this? Why does this matter? Um, well, first, if someone comes to you and says that they're an apostle, go ahead and run. Don't listen to them. Um, but jokes aside, what, what Paul's doing here is he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? God is working through Paul to write this letter. And, and what Paul is doing in saying he's called to be an apostle is he's validating his message. He's telling the Romans that he has authority to be writing what he's writing. Um, he, he's playing the authority card. He's not slapping down a jack or a king, right? He's playing the God card that the Romans would know that his message is authentic. What he's, what he's wanting to authenticate is what he calls the gospel of God. Um, what is that? Well, let's look at verse two. Paul, it says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and who is declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Christ our Lord. Um, if I've used this illustration before, um, one sec, I'm going to back up. Um, what's happening here is that God's prophecies are being fulfilled, and ultimately we see this in Jesus' resurrection. Um, God in the Old Testament spoke largely through prophets. Uh, these were mouthpieces for God, so God is giving the prophet a message to give to the people. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ, the one who we come here to meet, uh, the one who we talk about as raising from the dead, Paul is saying that all throughout the course of the Bible, um, this is being prophesied. This is being foretold, right? I could spend weeks unpacking the Old Testament and how it spoke of Christ, um, the one who would be born of a virgin, right? That's what we just celebrated at Christmas. 
and how he would save us from our sins. And what Paul is saying here is that these things, the Son of God that the Old Testament was speaking of, this is Jesus, right? We just read about that. He's saying, concerning his son, descended from David, declared to be the Son of God in power. Um, If I've used this illustration before, forgive me, but um, I've had friends and acquaintances in the past, and I'm sure you guys too, too, um, that you're like, you think about telling them a secret or important information, and you're going, uh, probably not, right? Because as soon as you tell them a secret, it's no longer going to be a secret. It's going to be in everybody knows it, right? That person that just lies and makes up things. Um, when I was in school, it was the, uh, my dad owns a Lamborghini, and it was like, what? Like, your dad who lives in residential Washougal owns a Lamborghini? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, can I see it? And it's like, no, the value's gonna decrease. And these type of people, right? These, they spew all sorts of stuff. Um, this is kind of hard to put this illustration to justice, but think about the complete opposite side of that um, in a way that we could never calculate or put a measure on, right? In the opposite way, guys, God is trustworthy. God is true. Um, His prophecy is pure. His words always come to pass. The Bible says that the flower withers and the grass fades, vice versa there. But the word of the Lord remains forever. His word stands true. Jesus knew this too. Um, Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. Um, What our passage also says in verse four is that Jesus, the one he's speaking of, was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus lived a perfect life. That's what spirit of holiness means. And he died and he rose again. And Paul calls him the savior. This is the gospel This is the good news, guys. Sin needs a sacrifice. Um, God being righteous needs to judge our sin and he needs to pour out his wrath upon sin and sinners. God demands a sacrifice, um, a payment and an atonement for our sin. And what the Bible tells us is that we are sinners. We have broken God's law and we deserve his just punishment because of it. But what does God do? He comes down in the flesh as the son of God and he lives the life of perfection that we never could. He's the spotless lamb. He's the lamb without blemish. And he becomes sin for us. He takes our death that we should have paid on the cross and what he cries out is it is finished. And three days later, He rises from the dead, proclaiming everlasting life to all those who would believe in this message and trust in Jesus as their savior. Paul completely lays out the gospel for us, and we're only four verses into Romans. He lays out how we can be made right with God, how we have everlasting life and relationship with him. Jesus says in a similar fashion, he who believes in me has eternal life. Uh, This is the good news, guys, is that we have a hope to look forward to. We have a God that we can trust in because we have a God 
who speaks and it comes to pass. And we have a God who doesn't live, leave us in the pit of despair and destruction. We have a God who comes down to meet us when there's no other option. And, and so again, Paul is belaboring the point that this message, this gospel, um, this good news is a message of truth and validation. If this gospel is true, this news that I'm speaking of to you, how should we then live? How should we respond? I would say to you guys in this room, repent and believe the gospel. Turn, flip a 180 and direct your life not towards sin and your desires, but towards Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you and grow you. And then with this life-altering news, this breaking news of a salvation through faith, go and tell everyone about that, right? Tell your coaches, tell your teammates, uh, tell your parents, tell your friends, tell everybody, guys, this is good news. And, and to the Christian, start to live out your faith. I know this is a struggle where you guys are at in middle school and high school. And we have a world that's in opposition to us. And we have an enemy who's in opposition to us. The Bible says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Um, in other words, this is gonna take action. Uh, this is gonna take discipline. This is gonna take hard work. And again, I just wanna speak to the unbeliever in the room and ask you, are you satisfied? Do you find a life that's full of joy and full of purpose and full of love? Uh, do you endure things with a good spirit and a good attitude? Do you have a hope after death when this short life passes by? How about this world? Does this broken, crooked world make you excited, make you want to be a, a part of it? Or does it frustrate you? Students, our soul longs for something greater. Our soul longs for the Lord because we are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Christ calls us to belong to himself. Christ calls us to belong to himself. And this is what Paul establishes as his purpose as an apostle. Look at verse five. Paul says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We hear a lot about purpose in our culture, don't we? We hear a lot about this idea of purpose, of fulfillment, I remember uh, growing up, uh, I would listen to 104.1 The Fish on the radio. Are you even a Christian if you don't listen to 104.1 The Fish in the car? Yes, you can be. I don't want to speak heresy. But an ad that's like burned into my brain because some of you Christians in here know, man, when you got 104.1 The Fish on, you're, it goes to ads. You're not turning that off. You're waiting for that heavenly music to come right back on. Praise God. Anyways. Jeez. <laughs> um, one ad that was burned into my brain, man, was uh, find your purpose at concordia.edu. I don't know if you guys remember that one, but uh, we, we hear this thing, right, from institutions, from organizations, uh, from 
different schools and colleges, and, and it's about finding your purpose, right? I used to think growing up that um, my purpose in life was to be an NBA player. Um, that was until I got to high school and, and averaged for one year of high school basketball uh, five points per game. And then I quickly had the realization that, yeah, NBA, probably not for me, probably not for me. But there's entire jobs that people have devoted to helping people find their purpose, right? Uh, but what does Paul say that his purpose is? Paul says that through Jesus, he has received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his being Christ's name. What Paul is saying is that his purpose is to bring about obedience to Christ as a minister, as a preacher of the gospel. Paul isn't looking to give people um, mysticism and philosophy and more lofty ideas or just to impart mere think about it stuff. Paul is wanting to see the fruit of obedience through his preaching of Christ and Christ crucified. What type of obedience does this demand? Well, Jesus gives us an idea in Matthew 10, 38. He says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The resume of the apostles of these people like Paul that we're talking about was one of servanthood and full devotion to Christ. Um, I was talking to my buddy Caleb about this with Paul. Um, Paul's a very interesting character. He is a servant of Christ like we've been talking about, but Paul was fiercely devoted to the gospel message and the preaching of that. Uh, there's an instance in the book of Acts where Paul's in this city called Lystra. That sounds like Lyce, that's a weird name, but the Greeks had weird names back then. Paul's in this city called Lystra, and Paul is preaching and healing people, okay? So for one, you would probably want Paul in there because you can get your, your thumb healed or whatnot, but joke aside, he's actually healing people, and um, the Jews don't like this, and what it says is that the Jews stone Paul. So this guy that wrote this letter we're talking about, Paul is devoted to the point where he is being stoned for preaching the gospel, and the story says that they drag Paul's body outside of the city thinking he's dead, okay? So Paul is perceived to be dead after being stoned. And then what happens is the, the, the disciples gather around Paul and he gets up. It's like, whoa, where did this guy come from? And the first thought in this guy's head is, man, I gotta go finish my sermon. So Paul walks back in the city and he says, oh, okay, uh, where were we? Uh, point two, yeah, open with me to Isaiah 53. This guy is devoted to the gospel, guys. This is Paul's entire purpose of his life to the point where he's walking back into a city after being stoned. And I'm not suggesting to you guys tonight that um, if there's people wanting to stone you, um, I'm not saying you need to be stoned and resurrect and preach in a city that just stoned you. Um, but what the Christian faith does demand from us, and myself included, is that we come into an obedience of faith. Far too much of Christianity in our culture is complacent, is untrue. It's in word only. Uh, and Paul says 
that he preaches the gospel to bring about obedience and devotion to this message. In our own lives and as believers, um, even when nobody's looking, um, we got we got to be obedient to this message. And I'm not giving you guys a, a standard of perfection that you need to be perfect. You can't ever sin or mess up, but we need to strive for holiness. And when we do sin, we should repent and turn away from that. Okay, so we've established that Paul is motivated by this preaching of the gospel. Um, But what motivates the guy who gave Paul the message? Do you see what I'm saying? What motivates God? What motivates Jesus to do all this? Is this some sick game of making people give this message to be stoned and ridiculed and cast out? Why is God demanding that Paul preach this message and why does he invite us to belong? Yes, Jesus calls us, and so does Paul and the other apostles, but what is his motivator? The love and grace of God motivate him. Look at verse seven here. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So our text says that it's the saints in Rome who are loved by God. Which one? Um, St. Joseph? He's talking about? Uh, St. Thomas? Maybe St. Mary? Which saint is it talking about? No. Um, A a saint is a believer. Anyone who believes in Jesus is a saint. Um, That's why he's addressing the congregation of the Roman believers. If you believe in Jesus, you are a saint. You and you and you, and I could point at everybody in this audience, You are a saint if you believe in Jesus. How can we describe the love that God has for these saints? Um, One pastor that I love, he he recounts asking his friend um, what his, who is a Christian songwriter, his friend was a Christian songwriter, and he asks him, you know, what's your favorite uh, lyric that you've ever written? And what his friend told him Um, was this, and this is a summarized version. But the songwriter said, and this is the lyric, essentially, if the world's oceans were full of ink, if if the water in the oceans was ink, and every one of us was a writer, and that was all we did for eternity, if the sky was a parchment paper, and we were to write about the love of God on this forever, there wouldn't be enough ink in the ocean to fully encapsulate and fill this parchment. Um, What am I trying to get at here? God's love is like a spring that shoots up from the earth. I remember the geysers in Yellowstone. um, And you'd sit there for about 10 minutes and get bored. And then eventually it would start to rumble and it would erupt and shoot water. Well, Uh, the picture I get is if this um, water coming out of this geyser was never ending, if it went on forever. Uh, What I'm trying to say here is that we cannot encapsulate the love that God has for everyone in this room. God's love is never ending. Um, God's love is long suffering. He'll go to the ends of the earth to seek and save his sheep. This is good news to us that God loves us 
this is what motivates God to be in a relationship with us. And not only that, not only his love, um, but it's his grace too. Look at the last line of our passage that Paul ends. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is both loving and he's just, meaning in love he judges our sin. And that's where grace comes in. Grace is an undeserved merit, a pardoning of our sin. And it's through Jesus Christ. For God's own glory and for his name's sake, he has chosen to give us grace who believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, And so as we opened with, um, the main thing I want to tell you guys is that God's grace calls for gospel obedience. Later um, in this letter of Romans, as we're wrapping up here, Paul quotes this in Psalm 44 saying to the church, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to being slaughtered. This man that we've been talking about tonight, Paul, uh, would eventually be obedient to the gospel, ultimately to death. Um, History recounts that Paul was beheaded um, while he was in his last prison term in Rome, his last Roman imprisonment. Paul preaches the gospel to his death. He dies the death of a criminal, of a martyr. And Paul concludes his thought of being led like sheep to a slaughterhouse, saying this in Romans 8.37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the love that we've come into, uh, the faith that we have for those who believe in Jesus. God's grace calls for gospel obedience. So I'm gonna pray as I invite the band up now. Lord Jesus, uh, we're thankful, God, for your word. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for the Apostle Paul who delivered this message to the Romans that we got. Um, but, But more than that, God, we pray and we are thankful for Jesus Christ, the one who is crucified, the one who opens the doorway to everlasting life, the one who gives us a meaning and a purpose, the one who are, we are created to know, um, the one who gives us purpose. And so, Lord, I pray um, as we continue to sing the truths of Scripture here, um, would you continue to impart the gospel on these students' hearts? A Christian or non-Christian, Lord, we pray that the gospel um, would lead forth to change and repentance now, God. And so, Lord, we pray all these things in your son's mighty name. Jesus, amen.